The Uncomfortable Truth Podcast is sponsored by the Joan Trumpower Mulholland Foundation, dedicated to ending racism through education, while preserving, sharing, and continuing the legacy of civil rights icon, Joan Trumpower Mulholland. Support the foundation and programs like this podcast by becoming a monthly sustaining donor. Visit jtmfoundation.org to get started. That's jtmfoundation.org. Welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth, where we answer the questions we all need to be asking about race and racism in America. I'm Loki Mulholland. And I'm LaVon Brown. And And it's it's time time to get get uncomfortable. In 1965, Atlanta was in full expansion mode to diversify its political and financial base. It had been gobbling up surrounding towns at a dizzying pace. Their saying was that Atlanta was the city too busy to hate. But one town was having nothing of it. Sandy Springs, Georgia. The majority white and wealthy town declared that they would, quote, build up a city separate from Atlanta and your Negroes and forbid any Negroes to buy or own or live within our limits, close quote. And promised to fight to the finish any plans for annexation. In 2013, a young black man, Dante Carter, came to Sandy Springs in pursuit of the love of his life. He won her over with a very slick pickup line, which we will be discussing, and is now running for mayor the first black mayor in Sandy Springs history. Welcome to the program, Dante. Oh, man, thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, we well, we appreciate it. And, and in the spirit of full disclosure, Dante Carter is a board member of our sponsor, the Joan Trump Power Mulholland Foundation. Now, did you know this history of Sandy Springs? I did, yes. Okay. You know, it's it's so funny. Um, things have, have changed so much, but they're still very much the same in a sense. You know, um, now we don't, you won't hear much about the whole race deal, but you'll hear the apartments versus homeowners discussion come up often. And we already know what that's, that's code for. Um, there are so many apartments in Sandy Springs, and, and that was one of the reasons um, why you know many folks said they they needed that Sandy Springs needed to incorporate that it needed to become its own city because you know that Fulton County electorate was just pushing people up here putting them in apartments up here and you know it's 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 just interesting you know um Sandy Springs I don't, I don't know what the population was back then but right now it's 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 uh it's closer to 50-50 um terms of 50% white, 50% minorities. Um, and I mean, it's it's a big group of minorities. Um, the largest of that group is black, of course, but you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, we've got Indians, we've got Hispanics up here. Um, we've got um, Asians, Vietnamese. I mean, it's just such a, a, a huge population. And so um, this is this is interesting. You know, it's the, the incumbent that I'm up against. He's the former chair of the Republican Party. Um, former uh, city council person um, from Stone Mountain, and we all know the history of Stone Mountain. And, you know, I like to say that he kind of migrated away from Stone Mountain as folks migrated in. And, um, you know, it's, but that's where we are, you know, and, and this is the, 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 the way that we're in. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot, but, you know, we're, we're forcing this discussion about what diversity, inclusion, and equity truly looks like in this city. Um, this is a city where um, it's so you've got so much wealth, right, in terms of uh, Sandy Springs has six Fortune 500 companies in their city limits. No other city in the United States of America has that level of wealth from a business standpoint in it, not New York City, not any of them. Um, but the fact that we've got we've amassed all this wealth, but there's still this huge um, um income gap right inequality gap that's here in the city there's just so many things that we we've got to discuss you know uh, one of the big things that's really come up right is is housing affordability um and and one of the ways that it caught my attention was honestly because of my wife having discussions with her she owns an OBGYN practice and and we're talking and, and she can't keep nurses um with her because they're traveling from such far distances to be here and I mean, Sandy Springs is also the city where uh, a vast majority of the hospitals in this area are, you know, Northside, St. Joe's, they're all saturated here in Sandy Springs. And so when you think about um, that level of access, more than 90% of our first responders 
um, don't live here, can't afford to live here, um, but they're putting their lives on the line to make this a better city. This is also a city where, you know, um, for the longest time, they tried to say that that racism didn't exist, but when everything went off last year, coming right down Roswell Road was a Black Lives Matter movement. And so, and even the history behind name, the naming of Roswell Road, there's a lot there. Well, now it's interesting you say that because I'm sure the response would be similar to what they were saying about you, that these were outsiders coming in. That there was even talk that you weren't even, you didn't even live in Sandy Springs. Yeah, which is hilarious. And, and you know, shout out to the people who, who saw those comments and corrected them in real time. But that's what we're dealing with. You know, folks are saying, you know, this guy's an Atlanta transplant, bought a crash pad here in Sandy Springs to run. And look, the reality is, is um, Black people live in the city. A very large group of Black people live in the city. And, um, and, and same way I've got concerns for my daughter, they've got concerns about their children. But it extends beyond us because when we start talking about um, our Hispanic populations, our Indian populations, they're all having this conversation about inclusion, and avoiding the discussion doesn't help it. We've got to, we've really got to have the strong conversations about this. We've got to, we've got to have people come to the table and talk, and and that's 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 why I'm running. You know, um, in the last mayoral election, less than eight thousand people showed up. This is a city of over sixty-five thousand voters. Um, over 110,000 people live in this city. And the fact that less than 8,000 people showed up to me is, is a problem and it, and it shows why we're having um, such pushback on this conversation of diversity and inclusion. You're no stranger to politics as you were the youngest person to ever lead up the public relations office for the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. Correct. Uh, and your public relations firm was involved in some very high profile cases, including Ahmaud Aubrey, Maggie Thompson, Jimmy Atchison, the survivors of R. Kelly, and the SB 202 voter suppression bill. So yeah. why mayor and why now? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, the United States is at a crossroads. This whole country is at a crossroads. And I, I think we're looking at a time where we're asking, we're asking this question of, okay, who are the leaders who are going to step up, you know, and, um, you know, LeVon can speak to this better than I can, but we know during the civil rights movement, who were the people that stood in direct opposition of progression? It was the mayors, it was the city council folks, it was the county commissioners. And so I think it's, it's, it's evident, we've, we've, really gotta, um, we've really gotta help people understand that these positions wield an enormous amount of power. And if the people that, sit, that hold these positions don't reflect um, your values and, 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 and your, um, your hopes in terms of what you want your community to be, um, where does that where does that leave us? You know, um, right now we've um, they've got we've got questions about our mayor and his ability to be transparent and accountable. You know, um, you know if you Google the Fulton County Development Authority, you'll see that he was he was one of their lobbyists. I don't know how you can be a mayor of a city and also be a lobbyist. I mean, it's like you're a mercenary up for the highest bidder but you still wield enormous amounts of power to govern. Like how, how do the, those two intersect? Well, well, this is the same state you know, where the, the person running for governor was the one also counting the votes. So yeah. <laughs> but, and and, and that's, that's where we've really got to have this discussion about accountability. Um, if you, if you lead the secretary of state, but you want to run for governor, you need to leave that position so that you can focus on running for governor instead of saying, no, I, I think it's it's my time. You know, I'm going to run for governor, but I'm still going to manage the voting process. You know, one of our federal judges have already struck down parts of the SB 202, which was voter suppression. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's very evident for the first time ever, you know, U.S. Census came out that Metro Atlanta is majority minority. And I think that we've really got to have conversations about what that looks like and us all working together. And it's a conversation a lot of people don't want to have. And if they don't want to have the discussion, okay, fine. It's time for people to rise up and run for those positions so that we can start to really move our cities forward. You speak a lot about the minorities that live in, in your city. Are you supported by the uh, majority population at all? Yes, 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 I am. And so, which is, um, and, and I think it speaks to 
the the whole impact the whole part where we're talking about working together diversity and inclusion equity us coming together working together um we've got a ton of support from the other side and it's because they they understand that these issues that we're all facing they all intersect you know housing it intersects with this whole diversity and inclusion the same with transportation you all have i mean it's it's the new york times has done huge articles on why the the um the interstates go around Atlanta the way they do. Like it, it, it all comes from the same roots. And so it's gonna take people of good conscience and good faith on all sides coming to the table so that we can really create this inclusive world that we want for our children. This is, this is Georgia. For so many this, for many, this story might conjure up images of the good old boy network and entrenched politics. What are you seeing? Oh, it's definitely the good old boy system. I, I think this is this is a system where it's it's been designed to work a certain way. You know, it's it's funny. I was I was sharing with a few folks today. I said, you know, when you look at the U.S. Um, Constitution, right, and 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 it starts off it says, "We, the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice." Right, that justice, that word justice, they use. It's it's the quality of being fair. That's where they start is a level of fairness. That's all, we're on the same page of fairness. Georgia Constitution says the same thing. You open up the Sandy Springs Constitution and you're not gonna find those words. And my question is why? What was this city founded on? What, why was this city created? Because the same words, at, at least our founding fathers had enough decency to say, you know what, the fabric of what we're going to be is going to be rooted in, in fairness, right? Even the state of Georgia says, you know what, where we're going to start is a level of fairness. You're not, but you're not going to find those words. And that was that was something something that I brought up to city council. Why aren't these words in our in our constitution, in our charter? Why aren't they there? Well, do you feel that maybe your city is being a little more honest than the rest of them? <laughs> I know what they say, but <laughs> what they do is that, two different things. That hasn't been what's been happening. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's been apparent. I, I think it's, it's, it's clear. I think it's apparent. And again, that's why I think it's, it's really going to take people of character and integrity coming together, because that's the only way that, that, that this thing is going to start to write itself. Um, it's very clear that we, that certain individuals we can't rely on, um, I mean, even in the midst of, of COVID, right? It's, it's we, we mandate vac vaccines for, for everything else. We got school immunizations, we got all these things, right? But I mean, you don't care enough about people to say, okay, like until we get this thing figured out, let's, let's wear masks, let's, whatever precautions we have to take. I mean, it's just this, it's, it's, it, it's, it's as simple as just valuing humanity. And, <laughs> You, you got a virus out here that's killing folks. And it's like, even that sense of, of valuing humanity, you know, our mayor's like, oh, well, I just want to encourage you all to do these things. And it's like, no, we, at this point in time, we need leadership. You know, that's like, a, that's like LBJ, instead of him, you know, uh, signing the Voting Rights Act of 1965, he says, I want to encourage the Southern states to let them vote. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, we need strong leadership. We need folks standing up, taking a stand. And, um, and being courageous enough to do so. And again, if, if they can't lead, we got to send them home. And, that, and that's what this is about. Well, it could be that one of the things I've always felt about, certainly about COVID, is that, uh, you know, I usually get in trouble for this, but <laughs> I, I don't think that they are concerned or they, whoever they are, are concerned about the number of people that die as long as it's not them or their people. Mm. Uh, I don't think, and they never did. And I think that's what needs to change. And uh, that's my first question about, uh, you know, the other side other than the minorities supporting you had to do with the fact that most of the, the, the people who are opposed to the, the acts that we could take for COVID really don't care if people die, as long as it's not them. Mm. Uh, and as long as their supporters stay alive, it is a way to keep down uh, the number of people that vote. A lot of the people that die are minorities. 
they don't care about those people. They don't care about the poor whites. They convince them otherwise, and they're stupid enough to believe it, but that's not what goes on. So it is another method of voter suppression when you have people dying. Yeah. Mm. Um, now you, I, I mean, you're running for office and you can't exactly say that, but a lot of people have come out and said, well, they prioritize who they're going to treat differently uh, because of that. They're saying the same thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I, again, I, I just think what this comes down to is, is recognizing the humanity of the people you serve. Because if you can't, and I, and I, I tell folks a lot, you know, this isn't a me thing, it's, it's a we thing. And if, if, if you don't see the value in the positions that you hold, how can we trust you to consider us when you're making tough decisions? We can't. We need you. We need you to understand the value of the power that you wield. And if you can't, you got to go home because we've, we've, got, we've got people dying. We're still in the midst of a worldwide health pandemic. We've got people dying. We've got people losing their homes. And, and we've got folks that still want to play this political line. And, and to me, I don't look at this and see, see it as, oh, this is, this is about politics. No, this is about life. This is about humanity. And it's about getting people who are courageous enough to say like, hey, if you don't, if you don't represent the people and their values, it's time to go. And, and I, I think that it's not just here, right? It's, it's happening all over Metro Atlanta. It's happening all over the United States. And we've got to continue to fight to get those people in. We've got to continue to encourage um, the people. I, I, told, I told all the, um, you know, one of the reasons why um, I went out and marched is, you know, I, I, seen, I seen on CNN one of the young men that I mentor, and he was literally face-to-face -face with a police officer. And you could see the pain in his eyes as he was out there during these Black Lives Matter protests. And I told my wife, I said, babe, I just, I can't sit here seeing that, seeing that pain. Like to me, that's leadership. That leadership is, is seeing that there's an issue and a problem and going out and standing up. And if you lack that leadership, you, you no longer have the ability um, to maintain that seat. And I just think that we've got to continue. And that's why I continue to encourage folks that I've seen out there protesting, whether it's been the Women's March, Black Lives Matter, what, whatever any of it's been. Man, if you've got the courage to come out here in March, I need you to take the same energy and run for public office. And I'm gonna to continue to do that because we gotta get some people out here who are looking at the value of life. What do we say to those people that are, that are sort of going down the wrong road and doing things that is not in their benefit uh, but is the benefit of the politicians who are telling them to do it. Uh, what do we say to them? I mean, how do we get them to realize that they're being used uh, and they're, they're filled with hatred and they have a total lack of understanding of what's happening to them? What do we do with those people? You know, I, and this is one of the things that, that I love that Dr. King said when he mentioned that we're all tied together in a, in a garment of destiny. And, and the reality is, is we're all tied together. And so you might look at it today and say, well, that's just the black or that's a, the Hispanic folks, but at some point it's gonna come back to you. You know, and I, I remember um, seeing the crack epidemic and what it did to black communities and seeing the lack of leadership, the lack of people standing up to, to, to really be all hands on deck to deal with that. And then I saw what happened with the opioid. And, and Sandy Springs was, was one of those areas that was hit hard with the opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I remembered this um, older white woman pulling me aside and um, she told me that she appreciated me being there and the work that I was doing, but she wanted to apologize. Um, she said, because looking back on it now, she said, I should have been more involved with the crack epidemic. There was more that I could have done to stop it and we just labeled it a black issue and swept it under the rug. Right. And, and now we're dealing with this opioid epidemic that could have already been, been dealt with had we addressed the crack epidemic the way we needed to. But that's what's happening right now. You know, we, we've got folks who are turning the other cheek 
And by turning the other cheek, you're allowing this issue to grow to a level that at one point is going to impact your family as well. And that's why I'm stepping up now. You know, I don't I don't want these things to impact my child. I want her to grow up in a city where she feels welcome. You know, I want my neighbor's children to grow up in a city where they feel welcomed. And that's what this is about. It's about ensuring that our futures are taken care of. You've been out canvassing a lot. You've been yeah. knocking on doors. It's very, it's a very much a grassroots campaign. And uh, it's not only taking your opposition by surprise, but also the people's doors you've been knocking on. And uh, they're not used to having, you know, one thing, a black man walking, knocking on the door, but a politician knocking on the door. That's from what I understand. Yeah. What, what's that been like for you? You know, I, I had one guy, um, older, older white gentleman, very wealthy neighborhood. Um, he told me, he said, I'm going to vote for you just because you knocked on my door. He said, I've never had a politician. And it's like, man, for him to say that and hear that, and it, and it still echo the same things that poor Black and Hispanic communities are saying as I'm getting out and knocking on their doors. The same thing that middle-class folks are saying as I'm knocking on their doors. The reality is, is that, especially when it comes to conservatives, right? Um, it's, it's a very small group of, of people that hold those values. And so the more that you can get out, the more that you can knock on these doors, the more that you start to see that there are so many things that, um, that, that intersect when it comes to people and, and what they value. And, and so that's what's been a, a lot of, of what's been encouraging for me is just hearing, hearing the feedback that people had. I mean, I, um, I dropped a sign off in, in, in a strong Republican's um, yard today. And, um, you know, she, she told me, she said, your message of, of inclusion, I just, I want you to know that it resonates. I wouldn't have known it resonated had I not gotten out and knocked on her door, had I not spoken to her, you know, like, and, and, and that's what this comes down to. I, I think that so often we have politicians that are really disconnected from the people and there's no way that you can truly serve and, and, and govern by being disconnected from the people because the more that you're disconnected from the people, the more that it's gonna create a level of frustration and tension between you and your constituents because you're not listening to them. You're governing based off of, off of what 1% um, of your population is saying and not a vast majority. And so I appreciate getting out knocking doors because you start to see what people value and what they hold dear. Do you feel that uh, you're making progress? Oh, no doubt. You know, we knocked on, um, we knocked on over 8,500 doors and um, not one person whose door that I knocked on um, said they were strong support for the mayor. Um, and I think it speaks volumes. You know, the fact that people are saying that they're tired, they're, you know, it's time for change. And, um, you know, one of the, you know, I spoke of at City Hall a few weeks ago because, um, you know, they, they, they don't offer, they didn't offer health benefits for um, the elected officials. Pay was very minimal. And, you know, it's, if, if we're gonna be honest with the time that's required, you've gotta have some type of decent compensation or benefit so that you can invest the time to serve people the way that you need to serve or else you're not as engaged. And what that was doing is it was creating um, opportunities for the wealthy and the retired to serve and excluding everybody else from the process. And that was one of the things that I, that I had spoke about is, you know, we talk about um, equity, like this is, this is a part of that conversation when we're discussing equity. And you have to understand that so many people get caught up in, in thinking equity is, you know, um, just gender or just race and, 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 and missing the point that equity is an opportunity, right? Equity is, is presenting these opportunities to, to serve and, and to lead in ways that, that you, you may not have because of the barriers and the hurdles that are in place. And that's, that's the message here is like, if we really want to have an equitable city, we've got to start to eliminate some of these barriers. And by saying that all this position is part-time, but you're knowing that people are serving 40, 50 hours a week. I mean, there's no way for you to be a politician and serve part-time. And so if somebody's salary is only 18,000 or 20,000, I mean, it, 
they've they've got to make up that money somewhere, which is going to take them away from the city. And if we want them focused on their jobs of serving the public, we've got to make these we got to make it convenient for them to do so. What sort of support have you gotten from um, from other cities, from other black mayors? You know, um, it's so funny. Um, one of the mayors that I sat down with, um, you know, it was, it was an interesting conversation because she said, you know, I, I went in and my, my deal was, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. And she said, you know, very rarely does somebody reach out to me um, wanting advice um, and wanting to, wanting to serve in this capacity just to serve, right? She said, so many people are chasing the power just to have the power of it and, and the tout that they have the power. And she said, when you're, you're just trying to serve, you're trying to make this better. And, and that's what it comes down to. And we talked about it um, because everywhere in, in the US, they're having this discussion about housing affordability, about police accountability. These conversations are taking place everywhere. And, um, and you know, her just really reinforcing to me that, you know what, you've got a great opportunity to make many of those changes um, that, that you've been advocating for. And you can do it once you win, really focus on winning and bringing it home. And there's been an, another mayor, um, you know, that, and I really appreciated what she had to say because it was, it was almost reinforcing and encouraging because she said, you know, you're a lot, you're much more smarter than you realize when it comes to business, when it comes to politics, when it comes to governing, you know a lot, I'm listening to you. And I think so many, so often we, 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 we look at our inexperience and say, well, okay, we don't, we don't have enough to lead or, or to do X, Y, and Z, not realizing that what we have is just the skill set that's needed. This is a sort of a, a, a left field kind of question, but one of the things that I have been uh, thinking a lot about lately is the fact that we tend to create, we meaning black people, we tend to create the opportunity for other blacks to take advantage of us. By that, I mean, if you look at the cities, um, I mean, this is America, right? And it's mm -hmm. about who's on top. Um, and very often that we will support people because they look like us or they sound like us and they really don't care about us. They mm -hmm. care about themselves the same as a white politician would. Uh, so when I listen to you talk about, you know, involving others or having others or having a fight for others, it's not everybody, every mayor that is the same color as you who's doing that. They're saying that, but when they get on top, that's not what they do. Um, have you seen that or you, do you feel that that's too far afield or? No, 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 you know, and, and I'll, 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 I'll take it even a step further. You know, there was a, you know, a lot of people know that with my PR firm, we handle a lot of cases of, of injustice. We work with attorneys that, that are advocating for, for families who've lost their, their children to police violence. And um, we had a DA in, in Cobb County and, you know, he, he was advocating for this family for justice. This officer needs to be fired. He did this wrong. He did that wrong. And, and he really pushed it. And, and, you know, the family felt hopeful. They got behind him and with, with, with their win behind him, he won this seat. And, um, you know, even after he was sworn in, he was still saying these things, right? And then we go to have this meeting and I'm in the meeting with the family and the whole conversation changes. And we were just like, what? I mean, what, did, I mean, all this. And he said, well, I, I said some things to win this seat. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we, that's not what we came to hear. And, and so he said, well, you all just don't know what you're up against. Well, I mean, quite frank, frankly, we do know what we're up against. We've been up against it the whole time. You know, the reason why I stepped into this space is because I knew what I was up against. I, I knew that when it came to justice, our people weren't getting a fair shake at justice. And, and there was so much that, that deals with this, you know, when it comes to the law being able to be applied equitably. You know, we, we're not getting a fair shake at those things. And so it was tough 
but he was one of the reasons why I decided to run, you know, because when, when, if I can't trust him to do his job, well, you know, I've, I've got to be a little more active on the front end when it comes to writing these laws and ensuring that, um, that he's got uh, less wiggle room to get out of things. Like, I want you to do your job. I want you to uphold it. If it's, we've seen these cases, right? Um, whether it's um, the young men from the Central Park Five, when they get gun hole on this, they go. And, and, and what we're asking is that y'all keep up the same energy. Don't just don't just do it when it's 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 a handful of young black men, because I've I've been there when those things happen. When I was in the DA's office, that was part of the reason why I left. I was in there when four young men were charged with murder and the victims, um, um, the victim's mother, who this victim was um, a middle aged white business owner. So we already had the dynamic there of race, which, of course, is attractive to the media. And so, but his mother takes a stand and says that you've got the, you've got the wrong people on here with murder and the judge rules a mistrial. When they go back to the bases and, and you know, the DA was, was asking a prosecutor, didn't all, these, didn't all these boys have cell phones with them? And she says, yeah. And he said, well, where did the cell phones say they were? Well, they hadn't, they hadn't gone back and, 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 and checked over the police's work. Right. So then they go back and check over and it turns out that the boys weren't in the area. They weren't there. And one of the experts said they would have had to be flashed to run over there, shoot them and leave. But if, if these boys were what you said they were, um, they didn't steal anything from them. He had cash on him. He had, you know, he had a watch, he had a ring. He had all these things that they could have made money off of that they didn't take from him. And then lo and behold, they start looking into the story and they find out that that um, that the victim started seeing his ex-girlfriend who had a new man. Mm. And it, it came out that the new guy was jealous about that relationship. He knew they they had gotten involved again. And so my my whole thing is when it comes to these, we we really are are listen. Being in a democracy, it's about the people. And we need people come, stepping forward and raising their voices with their votes to hold our elected officials accountable. Because right now, they're not, they're not doing what they need to do. You know, here you are stepping forward. And I can't imagine that your, your opponents are whistling Dixie right now. Are they, they've, uh, what, what are they saying about you? Uh, they're saying I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cop hater. I'm, I'm BLM. I mean, they have really gone into the old bag of tricks, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. and it's, it's funny because, you know, there was a woman, I mean, and she was just, I mean, the stuff that she was saying, I was just like, wow. She was saying, I Googled this guy and look what I found out. And it was like, the thing that she leaned on was something that was on Google page 10, you know, not Google page one. And it wasn't, it wasn't even a bad thing, right? It was an interview that I did with CNN. And they were talking about my activism, my business, me now running for mayor. But she was so upset because CNN didn't ask me how I felt about defunding the police. <laughs> you know, not once have I ever said defund the police, but I have advocated that we, we, we really start to focus on dealing with the social issues, which is what the 21st Century Policing Initiative says. And they got experts from all around the world. They had Obama convene them to work on this. Was, this was after Michael Brown uh, was shot and killed. It's 21st Century Policing Initiative. And it said that if, um, if the laws that you're enforcing don't represent the values of the community, there will always be tension. And so, they were really saying that our government has to find out what the people value and enforce the laws that they value. And I'm just like, but this is, it's, it's, it's simple, right? People want to feel safe. They don't want to feel occupied. And if you're not, if you're not focused on those things, then of course things are going to get out of hand. Of course you're, you're, you're going to go in the communities and, and you're going to, you're going to be edged up because you're, you're enforcing laws that they don't, that they don't that they don't value so they're going to be tense they're going to push back when they're you know it's it's i mean you've you've got to be you've got to understand people in order to to be in a position of leadership and especially in an elected position 
And so what it showed me when, when she put those comments up is that she didn't value people. She didn't value humanity. And, and it, it didn't surprise me that she supported, you know, the mayor now because he's the same way. But, you know, what I, what I did remind her of is, you know, I, I took an oath to serve and protect the citizens of Fulton County when I was in the DA's office. I swore on that. Um, but I, I didn't swear to uphold law enforcement. I took an oath to uphold the law. And that's what I support is the law. You know, this, this reminds me of, uh, in Lean on Me, uh, Joe Clark character by Morgan Freeman has this line. He says, you know what he's saying right now? Black bastard can't throw me out. You know where he's saying it? Out in the parking lot. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, uh, you're ruffling some feathers. And, yeah. and, and we, we got a freedom rider here. You know, I mean, LeVon Brown, I mean, you, you were in the thick of it in Mississippi and such. And I mean, this is... Uh, I mean, this is exactly what you were fighting for. Here's, I mean, Dante is the representation of the hopes and dreams of what the civil rights movement was about. He is. Uh, we, uh, we managed to elect a few that were not. Sure. Um, but, but I am <laughs> I'm convinced that he, we is, uh, he's for real. And, and I think that, uh, actually, maybe you're the new Stacy. So <laughs> We needed more of her, so you 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 are you are on a train with her. I, I think the thing is there's difficulty. I was asking the questions I was asking because we've reached a point where we need people like you, and we don't need some of the people we think we do. Yeah. Um, it because this is America, and we talk about class of people, and we talk about. Uh, minorities, and we talk about a whole bunch of things, but if we don't figure out the kind of stuff uh, that, that we've been trying to figure out for years, which is equality, uh, not mattering about what color somebody is, uh, not mattering where they came from, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I wanted to know, like, you know, are you talking to these people? And you are. Yeah. And if the first time around we don't succeed, we keep going. But we have to support people like yourself because you are what we created the space for. And there are a lot of people that were able to step into the space because they were there, because they, they were in college, they, were, they, they, were, uh, they understood how the system worked and they made it a part of them. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you're talking about. No, and no. That is nice to hear. Yeah, and maybe that's not, where we, where we, you are the kind of person that we lean on, that we support, that we do things for. We can't exactly uh, storm the ramparts because we're a little old, but this is what people <laughs> need to focus on. Well, no, and I, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I appreciate a ton, you know, and I, I think I'm I'm so grateful for what you and so many other freedom fighters and civil rights activists did. Because, you know, it's, it's not until I kind of go back and, and look at my mother's birth certificate that I realize I'm the first person born in this country with that, that sacred and protected right to vote because of what you all did, you know, and, and, and just thinking about what she went through, what my gra grandmother went through, my grandfather went through, so many people before her went through. Um, but I can't do this without... Um, the the gosh the um the waves that you all created i'm so appreciative to that um we've we've got a lot of work to do you know it wasn't until i was working on the surviving r kelly case where i was i was reviewing the laws and seeing that these laws that were meant to protect women aren't sufficient you know why aren't they why aren't they sufficient they're not sufficient because they were they were written by people who don't look like them, who have never had to deal with somebody trying to um, to rape them, to abuse them, to sexually assault them. And what it did was it, it forced me to take a look at my own self and look at, OK, well, how many of these laws are still on the books that there are young black and young Hispanic men that are saying the same thing about these laws weren't written. Um, by us and they don't reflect us and they don't help us. And so we, we've really got to get people in office that take hard looks at these laws 
and look at, okay, how do we make this more equitable? And that's, that's the key to it. It's how do we make, the president does not have to get involved in each and every one of these issues. The, the problem is we've got mayors, we've got city council folks, we've got county commissioners that don't value the lives of all their citizens. And if they, if you've got those leaders in place that don't value your life, it's time for them to go. These local elections matter. There's a reason why when it came to these presidential races, they, they started letting the whole conversation of states' rights take, you know, take over. States' rights, states' rights, whatever these states want. Well, you know what? What I'm saying is these, these states' rights don't reflect everybody. And so it's time that we stand up and we start sending folks home and, and put people in office who aren't there for this celebrity, um, you know, uh, pictures and video. We need people who are going to look at these laws, see that these laws are still impacting a vast majority of their constituents and make a hard decision to start fixing them. And I hear that and I have to wonder, you know, are you the boogeyman, right? Are you going to come in and, and create laws? Is, it, is, this, is this the fear of the white man that suddenly now we got a black mayor and he's going to try to change things and it's going to be you know, to our disadvantage instead of the equitable position that you speak about. Have, have you heard about that? Have you heard, has there been any sort of murmurings of, yeah, look out, you know, he's going to take your children. Yeah. You know, I haven't, I haven't heard that part. I mean, there's, there's been a whole lot of discussions um, again that I've had with, with like the chamber president and, and them wanting to know my plan for everything. What's your plan for this? What's your plan for that? What's your plan for this? And my, you know, I've really tried to be very um, modest in my responses, but man, I, I really wish that they would hold that same standard to the mayor now, because maybe we wouldn't be in these positions. The reality is, is, um, it's been one way for so long that people say they can't see another way when there is another way. There are options. There's a way to make this more equitable for, um, for people of color, for women. Maybe that's why, I'm, I mean, they just did a story on it. The Insider um, did uh, last Friday, the fact that more women and more people of color are running for a public office than ever before. My question is, why are so many of them running? It's because the system... Um, hasn't helped them. It hasn't been equitable. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and those, like you just said, I mean, those, those people, look, if all this was already playing out, we wouldn't have to be making these changes, but the status quo works for a certain group of people. And now, and I, now, now and you're I, messing with that. Well, and I think they've got to get comfortable with sharing, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. What, what do we teach our, our, our children when they, when they first go to school? Like, don't fight over the crown, learn to share it. And that's what I'm saying is, we got to start sharing from the top. We can't expect our children to do something that we're not willing to do. This isn't about giving uh, one group more power than the other. It's about learning how to share and learning how to get things done in a way where everybody is, is satisfied with the outcomes. And you know what? There are going to be some folks that aren't going to be satisfied with the outcomes. I can't help that, right? Because what I know is we're not going back. We're going forward. Yeah. And so if you can't get on the train, you might get left behind. If you've noticed that the one thing, well, we did a few things that we didn't quite complete, but one of the things we're having to fight now is the right to vote. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing that 60 years later, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And they're trying to hold back the, the, the I think there's two things. One is everybody needs to understand that uh, they're trying to keep them from voting. The other thing they have to understand is I don't have to look like you to be doing stuff in your favor. Yeah. And that is the thing that has kept so many of us apart for so many years. I mean, we, we, we talk about minorities and we talk about people of color. I, for the first time, uh, three weeks ago, actually saw some black people attending an affair where they were speaking about what, 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 they were speaking about what was happening to the Indians. Mm. And I thought how wonderful that is, that people now understand that together means together, as yeah. opposed to together means, I'm gonna take care of mine, you take care of yours. Um, and I think that that kind of, of unity is what's upsetting people. It's, mm. what bothering, it's what's bothering people. When we start talking about doing stuff together, uh, white people that want to, 
the, the black dark people that want to, that we're doing it together. And I think they don't understand that because it has never been done that way in America. And I, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, quite frankly. And 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 I I hope that you are successful in what you do. And I hope that you know we can tell others to listen to you from other parts of the country to go talk to this guy and, and have him come out and talk to you because it has to do with sharing. Yeah. yeah. They're not used to that. Now, Dante, what is what is your position on child labor laws? Because I, I've noticed that you kind of, you, you've conscripted one of the cutest campaign workers the country's ever seen. And you always, you, she's always out there with you. And uh, you got her knocking doors and, and politicking for you pretty hard. I know, but we pay her. I mean, she she gets really good overtime rates. She gets some great ice cream, uh, <laughs> some popsicles. I mean, so from a compensation standpoint, we're ma we're making sure that she is uh, fully compensated. You know, with all the hours that she she brings in. But I mean, you know, I um, it's it, it started off with her wanting to come out with me. You know, it's daddy's I, girl. I mean, yeah. From the from the beginning, I, I I wasn't too fond of the idea of me going to random strangers' houses with her with me, um, but she started coming out, and then she started knocking on doors and telling folks to vote for Daddy. She she couldn't really explain the policies just she had, you know, but she just she knew um, vote for my daddy. She had, she had her four words, and um, but it's um it's it's I think it's 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 amazing, it's powerful because people get a chance to see that, they get to see my why, why I'm running and why this is so important. And I just, I think that um, the more that we can help people to see why we're, we're making the changes we're making, the better it's gonna be for, for everybody because we just, we can't afford to sit back anymore. You know, we, we sat out the 2016 election and we, we saw what that did to, to not just the US, but the world. I mean, that was, the largest protest around the world that in, in recent history. And so mm -hmm. we've, we've got to be real about um, what we do with our level of engagement. And so, you know, I, um, I think it's time for some change. Um, and if this isn't a time where, cause you know, we're, we're on this, we're on this, this point where people are trying to just, you know, sweep what happened last year under the rug as though it never happened yeah. as, as it did. And if we don't address those concerns now, it's going to happen again. Now, now, now last question. Um, this is about that pickup line. All right, so you're at a dance with your <laughs> wife. LaVon, you haven't heard this one yet. No. <laughs> so he's at a dance with his future wife. And he asks her to dance. And she says, well, she says, well, I have two left feet. And he replies, well, I have two right feet. Let's see if we can find a rhythm. That's fast good thinking. That's just, no. How many times have you used that line before or were you just that quick on the draw? I was literally that quick on the draw. All right. that, was like, All right. that was one of those God moves there. You know, there it was you. one of those where I, I, I have never move, been moved by the spirit, before. huh? Yeah, I had never been that quick before. And so, you know, it um it happened and um I'm grateful it happened, you know, because again, I mean, she's she's the reason, you know, why I'm here in Sandy Springs. Um, she has been um, such a strong support, really pushing it. So many of um, many of her partners have gotten involved in the race. Um, some of her patients have gotten involved in the race. And it's like, you know, um, people know what my wife is, you know, what she stands for. They know what she represents. And then it's like, okay, seeing that she has a husband that reflects those same values. And again, I mean, you'd be surprised how far you get when when people see that you have empathy and love towards humanity, they understand that, that the goal is, is a human goal, it's a tangible goal, and, and it's, a, it's about unity, and it's about unifying, um, you, unifying um, us in a way that we haven't had, I mean, at what point has this country ever really been unified? You know, they, they say it's when Obama ran, but I mean, we saw what happened after he won. So yeah, we're still paying for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's about that constant search um, and, and journey towards unifying us as a group so that we can really deal with the roots of, of, of all these issues. Right. You know, one of the things that 
you probably haven't thought about, or maybe you have, is that your daughter and your wife humanize you. Yeah. You are talking about what's going to be happening with them, but they are, especially in this climate, they humanize you and you turn around and talk uh, the talk. I think that's important. I think mm -hmm. that's, yeah. you know, you probably don't give it much thought because you live it every day, but uh, that's what you are. So when you knock on the door and your little girl is there, or even if you're just walking down the street with your daughter or your wife, or you go out to dinner, all of that gets noticed. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I'm just paranoid, but <laughs> no, 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 I think no. you're right. I, I think, think you get right. noticed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and I, you know, I, I really love that message about unifying, and I love the fact that you're doing this on such a local level. Um, yeah, that's what the civil rights movement was. It was it was this work on a local level. Yeah, we we, we too often reflect on the national because that's where the the big changes take place, but it all has to start locally. It's not yeah. top down. It's you know it's the grassroots up and. And the work that you're doing, the example you're setting, man, I, I, I just hope it, uh, you know, I, I can't vote. I'm not going to try to vote in that election. I mean, I can't vote, but I can't vote in that election. And, uh, <laughs> you can, but. But yeah, but, uh, you know, we wish you the best and we, we really, uh, really hope this becomes a model for, for what is the cities election? across the country. Uh, the election is on November 2nd. So we are. 2021. Yeah. 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 So this year, gosh, man what, just shy of, of three months in. So, you know, we've got some work to do. I'm excited um, about what we can do. Um, you know, I, I sat down and it was it was so funny, but uh, I uh, a friend of mine, she's running for city council in district three. She sent me a text message, said, hey, there's um, a lady in my district that wants, to, that wants to meet you. So I went over to her house um, this morning and knocked on the door. She came, extremely friendly made me a cup of coffee, we're sitting down talking. And I remember just her saying, you know, I was an executive at this huge company um, for so many years, but I would not have had that opportunity had it not been for affirmative action and all these other things that took place that opened the door for me. And so I think a lot of people, they, they wanna say, oh, he's talking about this black this or this black that. What I'm talking about is ensuring that we start to widen these doors, open these doors much wider um, for the generations of people who are coming up behind us. And I was just, I was so appreciative that that was, that, you know, when she looked at my message and that's what she saw, she saw the fact that she would not have been where she was had it not been for the people that came before that paved the way. And that's what this is about. It's about continuing to pave the way uh, for the next generation. Yeah. yeah. Well, win or lose, you're making a difference and you're making an example. So for everyone to follow. We appreciate you. No, I appreciate you, brother. And thank you both so much for the opportunity to come on. But it's going to be a win. So, you know, we're just speaking it into existence right now. Just uh, remember that you, you knew us when. <laughs> 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 right on. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you both. Thank you for joining us. Please support this program and the other works of the Joan Trump Howard Mulholland Foundation to end racism by making a contribution. A simple $5 monthly recurring donation makes a huge difference for us and makes what we do possible. You can learn more at jtmfoundation.org. That's jtmfoundation.org. And until next time, don't be afraid to get uncomfortable.